John chapter 4, we are in our series on um, the foundation of our faith. We're studying theology or what God is all about. We are in part two of our series. The first part was the study of bibliology. We studied the doctrine of the Bible, what we believe about the Bible. We started with that because that's the foundation of everything else that we do. If we don't believe the Bible, we might as well just throw everything away and go live our life and have a great time because we have no hope. So the Bible is the foundation of truth. So that's why we start with that. Now we're talking about theology proper or literally the study of God himself. Last week we talked about the existence of God. How do we know God exists? We went through that. Today we're going to start what will end up being a little two-part series on the nature of God. And uh, as we do, look at John chapter 4. We're going to start with verse number 21. And we're going to, there are actually two aspects to the nature of God. We're going to talk about those. John 4, verse 21. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Let me pause. This is the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that Jesus met, and he told her, you know, you've been married five times, and the man you're with right now you're not even married to. And she was just awed that this man knew everything about her. She ultimately put her faith in him, went back into town, and told everybody else about it. So he is finishing his conversation with this woman, which is why, in verse 22, he begins by saying, you Samaritans, because she was a Samaritan woman. So he's referring to her people, which, again, when he's done, she goes back into town to her people to tell them what he's just told her. So let's read verse 22. You Samaritans... Worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come. And Jesus is referring to the fact that he is God, the Messiah, who has come to give them this new form of worship. The time has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Why is that? Verse 24 is our text. God is spirit. Therefore, his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. I can just see Jesus. So glad you mentioned that. He said... Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So you've heard about me. Well, I'm here. Let me explain to you how you worship me, how you worship God. And he says in verse 24, God is spirit. Now, when we come to studying the nature of God or what God is like, there are actually two aspects to the nature of God. And we're going to look at these. We're going to talk about his essence today. We'll go to Romans 1 in a little bit. Here is the doctrinal statement from our church about uh, our belief in what the Bible teaches about God. God is the creator and ruler of the universe. He's eternally existed in three personalities, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are co-equal and are one God. All right? What is God like? When you study the nature of God, there are two things that we need to study and understand. Number one are his attributes. We will talk about those next week. Then there is his essence. 
Now, what is that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. His essence is literally his substance and reality. What do I mean by that? God is not just an idea. He has substance. He is real. He exists. So he, he's not just a great idea. Quite often, if uh, a person is involved in some type of rehabilitation program, one of the things that they teach is you have to believe in something bigger and stronger and more powerful than you are because it's obvious since you are addicted to something that you alone cannot overcome this addiction by yourself. So you have to believe that there is something bigger and more powerful than you are. Now, that something can just be an idea if you want it to be. It can be a figment of your imagination. But you've got to believe there's something bigger than you are. Well, that's not what God is. He's not just something bigger than us. He's not just an idea. He has substance and he has reality. So what does that substance and that reality involve? And how do we know that God is just not a big idea? All right? There are seven attributes that describe the essence of God. So what we're going to do for the rest of our time is I'm going to take you through each one of these and explain to you what they are, give you some passages of Scripture that teach these things. Because remember, the basis of our truth, the reason we know this, is because of what the Bible says, because it is the foundation of our truth. So let's go through these. First of all, the Bible says in John 4, Jesus said God is spirit. So the first thing about his essence or his substance in reality is spirituality. He is a spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, there are two things that describe something that is spiritual. Um, quite often, people refer to ghosts as spirits. Okay? There's two things true about something that is spirit. Number one, it is immaterial. And number two, it is incorporeal. Now, what in the world do those two great big theological words mean? All right, very simple. Immaterial just means not consisting of matter. In other words, it's not something I can reach out and grab and touch and feel. All right, now how do I know this? Well, in Luke chapter 24 and verse 39, do you remember when Jesus appeared to the disciples and primarily to Thomas, doubting Thomas? And do you remember what he said? They were afraid he was a ghost. Jesus said, touch me. Touch me. I have hands. I have a body. I have flesh. And Jesus made the statement in Luke chapter 24 and verse 39, a ghost or a spirit does not have a body like you see me have. In other words, Jesus said, I'm not a spirit. I'm real. Okay? God is immaterial. Now, someone says, well, I thought Jesus was God. Does that mean he's not a spirit? I'm going to explain that to you in just a second. So hold on to that thought, and let's go to the next one. The next thing that a spirit is, it's incorporeal. That's spelled I-N-C-O-R-P-O-R-E-A-L. It's a theological term. It just means there is no material form. In other words, there's not a body. There's, when, when you think about what God looks like, God in his essence, what he looks like, you're never going to be able to imagine that. Because God has no form. 
that we can see. He's a spirit. Well, let me give you some verses for this. Um, in Luke chapter 24, again in verse 39, this is where uh, the Bible talks about um, Jesus said, I, you know, God, a spirit doesn't have a body like I do. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 4, we're going to go there in just a minute. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, the Israelites were told not to create idols to give them a visual picture of their God. And the characteristic of God that was used to teach to them that they should not build a visible idol was the fact that God is invisible. And we're going to look at that in just a minute because that's the next characteristic. But he's invisible. He does not have a bodily form. Okay? So God is a spirit. I can't describe what he looks like because he doesn't have any bodily form. He is immaterial, which means he's not some kind of substance that can erode away or that I can move around. And when you get into some of the attributes of God, like his omnipresence, which we'll talk a little bit about today uh, when we talk about the, um, the last one, the idea of immensity, which means God is not limited by space, um, then you're going to see it becomes imperative that he is a spirit. Because if he had a physical form, then immensity would not be one of his characteristics. He couldn't be that if he had a physical form. Okay. Now, what about Jesus? Jesus is God. And when we study the uh, doctrine of Christology or the doctrine of Christ, we will talk about the deity of Christ and why we believe that Jesus is God. Now, if Jesus is God, but God is a spirit, then why did Jesus have a body? Why did Jesus hang on a cross in that body? Why did Jesus die and be resurrected in that body? Why does the Bible talk about us being able to have a bodily resurrection? Because Jesus had a bodily resurrection. What is the riff here? about God's a spirit. He's immaterial. He's incorporeal. He has no body. Then what's the deal with Jesus? All right, let me give you some verses, and I'm going to explain that to you. And it becomes very, very important to the doctrine of Christ. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who's that referring to? Jesus. Same chapter. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word who was with God, who is God, and the Word was made flesh. Turn with me back to John chapter 1, and let me read it to you in the NIV. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible says in um, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You're going to see in just a minute when we talk about God being invisible, that the Bible teaches, and most of you have heard this, that no human being can look upon the essence of God and live. As a matter of fact, Paul said, no man at any time has ever seen 
God. In the book of Exodus, you'll remember that Moses wanted to see God. And God said, I cannot allow you to see me in my essence. However, I will allow you to see the reflection of my glory. That is exactly what Jesus is. Jesus is a reflection of God in his essence in a bodily form so that you and I can in some way with a finite mind understand God. If God were to say you need to be like me and there was no Jesus to give us an example of how a human could be like God, what would you and I do? What would we do? Jesus came to be our example. Peter said it. Paul said, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Who did the disciple, who did they follow as their example? Jesus. Jesus came, God in the flesh, so that we could see something that looked like God in human form so we would have an example. That's why Christ coming in human form becomes so very, very important. Now, take your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2, and let me show you another passage right here real quick, and then we'll move on to the next one. Philippians chapter 2, look with me at verse number 5. Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Look at verse 6. Who being in very nature, attributes and essence, who being in very nature, God, was Jesus God? Absolutely in every way. In his very nature, he was God and is God. What is the nature of God? Attributes and essence. However, what did he do so we could see it? Look at the rest of the verse. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, he said, I am God. I don't have to reach to be God. I am God. Verse 7. But he made himself nothing and taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Here's what he did. He was in very nature God, but he took on the nature of a servant and the likeness of a human being so that he could be an example for us, so that he could be a sacrifice for us and pay for our sins, and so that he could be redemption for us so we could be forgiven and go to heaven. So that's why God in his essence is all of these things. Jesus in his essence is also all of these things. But for our sake, he took on the form of a servant and the likeness of a human being and came to this earth. It did not change any of this. It just put it in a form that you and I could look at and learn from and benefit from without dying. Because no man can look upon the raw essence of God and live. So that's why Paul said in Colossians 2.9 that Christ is in every way the essence and form of God in a body. Okay? So that's why God can still be a spirit 
immaterial and incorporeal, and yet Jesus be here in a body. Because Jesus chose to do that for us, okay? So first of all, God in his essence is spiritual. Number two, he is invisible. We've already talked about this a little bit. Let me give you just a few verses. John chapter 1 and verse 18. Uh, John talks about the invisible God. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 15 through 20, this is the passage where the Bible talks about God being invisible and has no, no form. Therefore, don't make him into a form, an idol out of gold or silver or wood, because he is immaterial. All right? He's invisible. And then Exodus chapter 33, verses 17 through 20. All right? So God is spiritual. God is invisible. Number three, God is alive. In Joshua chapter 3 and verse 10, Joshua refers to God, speaking to the Jewish people, as the living God. Thirty times in the King James Version of the Bible, the term living God is used in reference to God. He is alive. He's not a wooden statue. He's not a piece of gold. He's not a golden statue. He is alive. He's not dead. He is alive. Um, let me give you another passage of Scripture. Psalm 115, verse 3. Turn over there with me. Let's read this together. Psalm 115, beginning in verse number 3. All right, Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him. But their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Our God is a living God. He's not a statue. He is alive, okay? So that's his essence. He's spiritual. He's invisible. He's alive. Number four, he has personality. Look at the same chapter, Psalm 115, verse 3. There are basically two things that are required for a person to have personality. Self-consciousness and also self-determination. You can have consciousness and not have personality. Someone in a coma can have consciousness, can be aware of what's going on around them, but have no personality. They cannot exercise self-consciousness or self-determination. They can't do anything. They are conscious. They are aware of their existence, but they can't do anything. To have personality, for God to have personality, He has to be, have self-consciousness, and He has to have self-determination. He can't just be a block that doesn't do anything. Look at verse number 3 of Psalm 115. Our God is in heaven. He does, self-determination, whatever pleases him, self-consciousness. So he is both. He has a personality. Let me give you some other characteristics of his personality, and I'm just going to give you one verse for each of these. There are lots of them, but for the sake of time, I'll just give you one. Um, several of them, by the way, are found in Psalm 94. First of all, number one, he hears, Psalm 94 and verse 9. Number two, same verse, Psalm 94, 9, he sees. Number three, he has intellect, Psalm 94, verse 10. Number four, he is jealous. 
Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5. When the law was being given by God to the Jewish people, he said, don't have any other gods before me. The Lord your God is a jealous God. And he will punish those who have other gods before him. So he's jealous. Number five, he is compassionate and loving. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. So he has personality. He's not just a block of wood with no life and no self-determination or self-consciousness. He is alive. He has personality. All right? So he's spiritual. He's invisible. He's alive. He has personality. Next, number five, he is self-existent. Nobody made him. And by the way, he didn't make himself. Let me give you a verse. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. You remember when God was calling Moses to go back to Egypt and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? Remember what he asked God? He said, God, by the way, there is also an example of his personality. He and Moses were having a conversation. So he does speak. Moses said, suppose I go back and I say, Jehovah God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, well, what's your God's name? What did God tell Moses to tell him? I am that I am. Literally in Hebrew, it means I will be who I will be. Hey, Bill, can you explain that? Not in a million years. He is self-existent. Nobody made him and he didn't make himself. He has always existed. And that, by the way, is the next one. His eternality. He has always existed and he will always exist. Now, his eternality means he is not limited by time. His immensity means he is not limited by space. So let me give you a couple of verses for this. Genesis chapter 21 and verse number 33. He is referred to as the eternal God. Um, Since we're in Psalm, turn to Psalm 90 and look at verse number 2. Psalm 90 and verse number 2. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He is eternal. He is not limited by time. By the way, that's why the Bible teaches us that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Now, let me just give you some Bible interpretation advice. That doesn't mean that one day with God is a thousand years. Just like when he told Peter, in answer to Peter's question, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? He said 70 times 7. He didn't mean on 491 you can punch a snot out of him. What he was doing was using a phrase to indicate you always forgive your brother. One day is a thousand years, a thousand years that one day with God. What does that mean? God is using a phrase we can comprehend to tell us he's not limited by time. Time is irrelevant to God. It it, it doesn't factor in to who he is. It does to us because we're limited by time. We have 24 hours in a day. We have seven days in a week. We have 365 days in a year. And we have so many years and we die. We're limited by time. God is not. So, 
Somebody says, well, what does that mean to me as a Christian? Don't get upset if God doesn't fit things into our timetable. Our timetable is not what's important. God's purpose is what is important. And God's purpose is governed by His essence. And His essence says He is eternal. He's not limited by time. So just because something doesn't happen in the time frame that I think it should happen, it doesn't mean that God is saying no. It doesn't mean that God is mad at me. It doesn't mean that God is not existent. It just means that I'm trying to fit God into my mold. And God is not limited by time. Then, finally, immensity. God is not limited by space. Psalm 139, since we're there, flip over a few pages to Psalm 139. We'll stop right here. He is not limited by space. Psalm 139, verse 7. By the way, a very familiar passage of Scripture. Psalm 139, verse 7. The Bible says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Literally, the psalmist is saying, God, where can I go that you are not there? And then he answers. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. It is to me, but it's not to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You know what that means? Among other things, it means that when my life is in a very dark and gloomy place, It's not dark to God. He sees very clearly what's going on. He's got a purpose and a reason, and He knows exactly what's happening. I'm not hidden from God. Just because I'm going through this difficult time in my life, it doesn't mean that God has hidden His face and He doesn't know what's going on. God knows exactly what's going on. And there is a reason for it. Okay? Let's keep going. He says, verse 14, or verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. And I know that full well. So God, in His essence, is immensity. Literally, He is not governed by space. He is everywhere. Next week, when we talk about His attributes, there are four main attributes we'll talk about. One of them is His omnipresence, which means He is always present everywhere. Um, And as we close, let me remind you of this. Uh, That means, number one, there is nowhere in our life that you and I go that God is not there. There is nowhere in our life where we are going that God has not already been there first. Because not only has He already been there first, but He's always been there. And then the third thing I would remind you is, don't try and figure it out. Just believe it. And be thankful that He is that way. Because He's God. That is why these seven things, in particular, is why you and I can not only look upon His very essence, but we can't fully understand it either. He's God. 
You don't want a God you can explain everything about, do you? If you had one like that, he wouldn't be God. He would just be a bigger you. I don't want a bigger me. I want a creator. I want God. And that's what the Bible teaches that we have. And you know what? No matter how powerful Satan's army and his influences get in this life as he attacks us, that's the kind of God we have. And by the way, when we get to angelology, we'll, we'll study a little bit about demonology. And you'll find out Satan is not that. He's not even close. Our God is greater than anything, including our enemies. Okay? Next week, we'll talk about his attributes, four of them. And uh, we'll study a little bit about what those are and what they mean to us. Father, thank you again for who you are. And that in all of your essence, you not only loved us, but you loved us enough to express yourself to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent to take on the nature of a servant and the form of a human so that we can understand it. Father, help us this week to live as though we believe this is the kind of God we truly serve. And help us as we follow you in Jesus' name. Amen.